Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. We're going to jump right in this morning. We're in a series called Questions that began last week. John Ciotta led us in that. And in the series Questions, we're actually picking up in John chapter 18. Since we left off in John 17 with our Lasting Words message series, we said during that series it was right before the cross. Jesus was headed to the cross in John 18, 19, 20, and 21. Uh, Jesus actually goes to the cross. He goes to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then there's some interaction all also afterwards in John chapter 21. So the questions that we're looking at are not necessarily the big, you know, existential questions of who am I and how do you know truth? They're simply questions that the gospel writer John includes as he gives the account of Jesus heading up to the cross. Uh, I'm going to ask Sharon Petzinger to come and read our text for this morning. As she's doing that, let me just ask you a couple things. When we read the text of Scripture, when we read Scripture, it's important that we actually kind of read it with our imaginations, that we live within it, that we taste it, see it, smell it, feel it, that it's not just sort of data, but use your imagination to live inside of it. Um, One of the ways that you can do that this morning is actually when Sharon reads, She's going to read something that we're going to pick up later on in John chapter 21. And here's all I'll say about it for now. Probably for many of us, there's a certain kind of smell that we associate with maybe some experience. Uh, For me, I grew up in an old sandstone farmhouse, and to this day, I can still smell the smell of wood smoke coming out of the chimney. I can see a little bit kind of wisping out of the chimney, and I can smell it. And the smell of wood smoke brings me back to that. Even when I smell a campfire burning, I just love the smell of wood smoke. Maybe for some of you, it might be the smell of your mom or somebody else baking some bread. And you think about that smell wafting through the house. Or maybe you have that that smell of the turkey roasting in the oven on Thanksgiving Day. Maybe for some of you are beach people and you kind of like can smell the the breeze of the beach. Like there's something in you that triggers an experience. And you're actually going to hear Sharon read about a fire in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18. Later on, we're going to close by looking at John chapter 21, where a fire is brought up again. And the gospel writer John is probably actually wanting us to pick up that this is a trigger for Peter. So listen for, for a Sharon as she reads this John chapter 18, verses 15 through 27. And if you wish to follow along, it's page 1681 in the Bible in front of you. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went, into, he went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't the one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, 
the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus said. Jesus replied, I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of those disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Well, as always, when you hear that text, you're just reminded how utterly irrelevant the Bible is, that it actually talks about someone slapping somebody else. Uh, completely irrelevant in our day. We never hear that. It's outdated. It's something that happened previously in ancient history. Like we never hear of somebody getting slapped today. And if you've been in tune with the news, you kind of yeah, know where kind of where that's headed. Um, just a couple of things before we dive into the to the main part here. We're going to mostly focus on simply Peter's denial of Jesus. Before we get there, just a couple things. Verse 15, Simon, Peter, and another disciple were following Jesus. We're not exactly sure who that was. Uh, one thing that we do know is that throughout John's gospel, he never refers to himself as me or as I. He often refers to himself in the third person. Uh, sometimes he refers to himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. We wasn't being arrogant about that. It was just simply well known among the disciples that John was actually particularly close to the person of Jesus. And so when it says another disciple, it may well have been John, because many of the gospel writers refer to themselves in the third person, John especially, and so that's possibly who it was. But before we get into the, the part where, G, where Peter denies Jesus, there's something else going on here that we want to talk about a little bit. Uh, periodically, uh, we often hear, if you say that you believe in the Bible, that the Bible is simply full of contradictions, that it contradicts itself, that one thing here contradicts itself over here. If you're a high school student, if you're headed off to college, if you're in college, you're going to hear fairly soon, if you at all acknowledge believing in the Bible, uh, that the scripture is full of contradictions, fulls of way, full of ways that it, it doesn't make sense, that it, one thing here contradicts it over here. It's fairly minor in this passage, but there is actually one of them. And the way this works is that often we hear that, and sometimes it might be an archaeological discovery that actually highlights the fact that, wow, like what we doubted actually is the case. Uh, maybe just two examples of that. Uh, many, many decades ago, uh, uh, scholars completely believed that the Hittite civilization that the Old Testament mentions did not exist. That that was a fictitious civilization that appeared in the Bible, and there was no historical evidence for it, until an archaeological discovery was made that actually validated the fact that indeed the Hittite civilization did exist. Uh, the King David in Israel's history was a very prominent king. Lots of wealth, lots of power, lots of influence. For many years, scholars believed that 
sort of the Old Testament kind of mythologically pumped David up to a level that really wasn't accurate historically until archaeological discoveries confirmed the fact that David was an incredibly powerful king in a time of power and influence for the nation of Israel. And so that happens often, and sometimes we still don't quite have answers, but, but many times through a little bit of research, uh, answers are, are able to be found. Uh, one of the passions we hear at Southridge is, is not to sweep those challenges and problems under the rug, pretend that they don't exist. Uh, we don't tell people not to ask questions, pretend that you just believe it all and understand all. We actually want to kind of pull the rug back and say, hey, here's an example, here's an illustration of maybe a question that might come up. And actually, in the text that we read this morning, there is one that comes up periodically. And here it is. It comes around the second person who asks Peter whether or not he knows Jesus. It's the second time. In John chapter 18, here's what it says. And again, this is the second time Peter is asked the question whether or not he knows Jesus. He says, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So listen to this. They asked him, aren't you one of his disciples too? Are you? So John records, they asked him. Well, if you go to Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 71, here's what it says. It says, then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. There it says, another servant girl. All four gospels say that there was a servant girl who asked the first question about whether or not Peter knew Jesus. Matthew says, it was another servant girl that asked him the second time. Mark chapter 14, verse 69, says it was the same servant girl that asked the second time as asked the first time. So Matthew says it was a different servant girl. Mark says it's the same servant girl that asked the second time, that asked the first time. Here's what Mark says. When the servant girl saw him there, she said to him, Again, it's the same servant girl. Again, to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Now, here's a kicker. Luke says it was a man. Luke chapter 22, verse 58. Again, this is stuff we don't shy away from. We walk into it. We pull the rug back and we say, hey, let's talk about it. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Here's Luke's response, or here's Luke's recorded response that Peter gives. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Now we know that Peter's not just using the colloquial, hey man, as we say in English. Uh, we know that because he actually refers to the first person as a woman. He says, woman, I don't know him. The second time he says, man, I don't know him. So Peter is responding to the second person who is a man. Well, it's not incredibly, it's not one of his incredibly difficult challenges. Here's generally the sense. Uh, both Matthew and John point out that there's a gathering here. Uh, there's a fire, it's cold. And so, the, so there's a number of people gathered around the fire for warmth. Here's what Matthew says. After a little while, those standing around there went up to Peter and said, that's how he introduces this. And so Matthew himself acknowledges there's a number of people there. There's a number of people gathered around the fire warming themselves. 
In John 18, 18, it says it was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. So John says that there's a gathering of people and most likely here's what's happening. Different ones of the gospel writers heard different people ask the question. Most likely that question was be asking was being asked by a number of people gathered around the fire. They're there, they're talking, they're talking among, once among themselves. And, and it's almost as though Peter's probably getting literally peppered with questions. And so one guy picks out a question, a, a guy asks. One guy picks out a question, the servant girl asks. One guy picks out a question, this first servant girl asks twice. John says, they all ask. So that's what's happening. And here's what I want to say. This, to me, actually validates the gospel account. Which, which becomes very apparent when you read the Gospels is that these guys all didn't sit in a room and say, we've got to fabricate a story and make sure every last detail is exactly right so that everybody believes. It's pretty evident they didn't sit in a room and say, okay, guys, we got to make sure every last detail we agree on because we got to fool everybody. And the only way we're going to be able to fool people is if we give a absolutely bulletproof, waterproof account that is no disagreements. That obviously didn't happen because what you have in the Gospels is differences of perspective. You don't have contradictions, but you have differences of perspective. They're different writers. They see, see things from a different angle. We all know that eyewitnesses to an accident see different things. Same thing with the gospel writers. In fact, it's a, it's a validation of the authenticity of the gospel accounts. They didn't collude together. They didn't say, hey, let's all say exactly the same. There's enough variation that you see differences, you see personalities, you see angles of perspective, and it's pretty evident they're not trying to fabricate a story and simply say all the same thing. So again, that's something they hear pretty much in our modern day, and some challenges are very difficult. This one is actually fairly easily resolved, but when someone says there's contradictions in the Bible, hey, here's one this morning, and, and we just felt it was important to talk about that because we, we just really, really value questions and honesty and sincerity and authenticity and pulling back the rug and saying, yeah, like, let's deal with this uh, because it could look, look, look like a problem. So moving into Peter's denial, we're going to look at three different things. Number one, someone we are, someone we are. Number two is going to be who Jesus is. And then thirdly is who we are empowered to be. Someone we are, who Jesus is, and someone we're empowered to be. Again, we'll read verse 15 of John chapter 18. The other disciple who is known to the high priest, by the way, again, probably as John could be, not certain, but apparently he has a relationship with the high priest that he's able to bring Peter into the high priest's house. Uh, he had some level of influence there to get Peter uh, into where this discussion was happening with Jesus. Came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. So he uses his influence to bring Peter into the house of the high priest. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Verse 18, it was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep Peter, to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. 
As it probably even not to be conspicuous, uh, Peter joined with the group around the fire who were all chatting. He would have actually kind of looked awkward and would have stood out and would have been almost more recognizable if he would have stood kind of away from the fire. People would have said, like, like what's he doing over there? So Peter's actually probably making an attempt to blend in with the others as he's standing around the fire. And that's where the conversation of multiple people happen as to whether or not Peter is one of his disciples. So that's the first time Peter actually denies Jesus. There's a second denial in verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? Both of these first two questions strongly anticipate a negative answer. They're asked in such a way that the most normal and natural way for Peter to respond is that, no, I don't know. That's the way the first two questions are framed. And Peter responds each time, no, I'm not one of his disciples. He responds in a way that's negative because that's what the question anticipates. It anticipates a negative response. There's a third denial in verse 26. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Again, this guy's got some connections. You heard last week when John Ciotta spoke that Peter hacked off some guy's ear in the garden. And so this is probably a little bit more of a connection here. Um, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Well, Peter's probably like shaking in his boots a little bit there because it's not just abstract. This guy says like, hey, aren't you the guy with the sword who whacked off the ear? Um, did I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. At that moment, a rooster began to crow. You know, it's interesting. Peter denies Jesus three times. And sometimes in the Bible, you got to be careful what you make of numbers and what you don't. But it's pretty evident that throughout the Bible, that the number three is incredibly significant. In fact, the number three appears in the Bible 467 times. It's a little less than the number of seven, but the number of three appears 467 times in Scripture. And generally, when the number three is used, it represents something that's in totality. It's all-encompassing. Might, you might even take it as being extreme or absolute. It's completely all-encompassing. And so in denying Jesus three times, what seems to be happening is, number one, Peter actually does this, but he does it three times kind of to accentuate the fact that his denial is all-encompassing. It's all-inclusive. He's all in on denial. It's extensive. It's absolute. This is a complete 100% denial of who the person of Jesus is. Now, here's the deal when it comes to denial. There's a couple ways that this can happen. Number one, there certainly can be outright denial, right? A couple years ago, we had a speaker from an organization called Open Doors that Southridge partners with. And Open Doors serves those in countries that highly oppress followers of Jesus. In fact, they produce a world watch list that has the top 50 countries that oppress followers of Jesus the most. And in many of those countries, 
Uh, people are tempted and asked to outright deny the person of Jesus, to say that they don't follow him, to say that they don't believe him. That's a level of outright denial. And that's certainly what Peter does here. But there's other ways to deny Jesus as well. In fact, Peter outright denies Jesus here, but back in the garden when he took a sword and hacked off, G off the uh, servant's ear, in one sense, that was another way in which Peter denied Jesus. See, what happens is we can sit here and I can stand here and say, like, ah, like, like I don't deny Jesus. Like, I speak boldly. I speak courageously. But the fact of the matter is, Peter's boldness and his courage to hack off the guy's ear in the garden kind of asserted himself as another way of actually denying Jesus. How did Peter deny Jesus? He said, basically, I'm not going to go down a loser. I'm going to take control. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be courageous. But it wasn't courage that came from God's spirit. It was a courage that came from Peter's own internal sense of needing to validate himself and take control. You see, denying Christ can look like, no, I never knew him, but it can also look like I'm going to take charge and I'm going to get it done and I'm going to self-validate and I'm in control here. It can, that can also be denial of Jesus. Which kind of means this. The someone that we all are is a Peter. That you and me, that you and I are deniers of Jesus. See, at the heart of denying Jesus is not necessarily what you say or what you don't say. It's not necessarily outright denial or taking a sword and whacking off the guy's ear. What's underneath, what's foundational to all that is simply this. Peter is saying, I'm going to make my own bread. Jesus says as that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says, I am your provision. I am your life. I'm the one you depend on. The way that we deny Jesus is saying, God's provision is insufficient. I'm going to make my bread. I'm going, to, I'm going to make something else for me to thrive on. I'm going to make something else that enables me to survive. I'm going to take life into my own hands. That's the way that we deny. Just think about Scripture for a second. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve deny God. Not outright, but they say, we're going to, we're going to get fruit to eat because we're going to find life ourselves. King David took Bathsheba, had her husband killed so he could have a relationship with her. He raped Bathsheba so that he could make his own bread, so that he could make life for himself. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread and then live thankless lives to God, we deny him. When we treat somebody as simply a means to our end, and they become a means for our convenience to get to our own goals, rather than treating them as image bearers of God who he loves and he cares for. Whenever we demean someone, we deny God. 
Whenever we look at ourselves or someone else and we say, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not handsome enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm too tall, I'm not smart enough, I'm not athletic enough, I'm not gifted enough. Whenever we do that, and God says, no, I created you in my image. Whenever we complain about who God created us to be, we say, God, I deny you. Listen, friends, the fact of the matter is, you're a denier. You're Peter. It's someone we all are. You're a denier. I'm a denier. What does your willingness to forgive tell you about where you find bread? Maybe some of you know that you need to forgive someone. But for you to forgive them somehow is actually going to take meaning away from your life. Because your life is built around hostility and resentment and bitterness and anger toward this person. And for you to forgive them, you would lose energy for your life. And so you deny God by refusing to forgive. What does your hunger, what, what do your hungers tell you about where you find bread? Do you hunger for affirmation? Do you hunger for approval? Do you hunger for success? Do you hunger for attention? Do you hunger for comfort? Do you hunger for pleasure? More than God. Is, is pleasure, comfort, success, attractiveness, is, is that what is your bread? What do your hungers tell you about where you find bread? How do your hungers cause you to deny that God is the source of your life? What does your service to others tell you about where you find bread? Do you only need to spend time on what's going to benefit you? What's going to kind of up your game? What's going to increase your forward movement? Or do you actually lay yourself down and say, I'm going to have time to serve and bless and pour into the lives of others? What does that tell you about where you find bread? Is your bread serving yourself? What does your willingness to sacrifice your own comforts and pleasure tell you about where you find bread? What does the allocation of your resources, your financial resources, tell you about where you find bread? See, friends, the reality is every one of us are deniers. Every one of us seek to make our own bread. Every one of us seek to create our own life. Every one of us, we are all Peter. We are all deniers. Here's how I would summarize this. I find I'm much more I find I much more frequently deny Jesus with my life than I do with my words. What about you? I can't remember a time when I've overtly denied Jesus with my words. But the fact of the matter is, friends, I deny him with my life all the time. I deny that he's my bread and I make my own bread. I find I much more frequently deny with my life that Jesus is my bread than I do with my words that he is Lord. I don't overtly deny Jesus being Lord with my words, but I deny all the time with my life that he is my Lord and that he's my bread. We are all someone. We are all Peter. We are all deniers. 
someone we are, who Jesus is, who Jesus is. We won't take time to get into this too deeply, but let me just make a couple of statements. Because in the following verses and chapters, Jesus goes to his death. He's crucified on the cross. He's buried in the tomb. He's raised from the dead. Here's how I want to sum that up. Even though Peter caved, Jesus did not cave. Even though Peter was unfaithful, Jesus was faithful to the Father. Even though Peter saved himself, Jesus did not save himself. Even though Peter denied Jesus, Jesus did not deny the Father. Even though you are a denier, Jesus did not deny you. Even though you make your own bread, Jesus gave himself to be your bread. Even though you are unfaithful, Jesus is faithful to the Father. Even though you turn your back on Jesus, Jesus gives his back to be beaten. Even though, you never, even though Jesus never denied the Father, the Father denied the Son so that you could be accepted as a son. Even though we are bent on saving our lives, Jesus could not be de detoured from sacrificing his life for us. Even though we save our skin, Jesus let his skin be torn so we can become his. That's who Jesus is. We are someone. We're deniers. Who's Jesus? Jesus is faithful to the Father. Jesus lays his life down. Jesus' flesh is torn. Jesus is put away by the Father so that you could be welcomed in by the Father. Which brings us to someone that we are empowered to be. Someone that we're empowered to be. We're going to look at the first part of John chapter 21 on the week after Easter. John Seattle is going to be leading in, 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 us in that. In John chapter 21, Jesus actually meets with the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And here's what's interesting in John chapter 21, verse 14. Pick this up. It says, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And notice how many times did he appear to his disciples? Three times. We don't have time to go through this, but what's fascinating, do a little study on this sometime. The number of biblical writers who point out the fact that Jesus also appeared to Peter. Paul actually makes that point. He says, he, he picks out Peter. He says, by the way, Jesus appeared to his disciples, but he appeared to Peter first. Let me tell you something. If I was Jesus, Peter would be the last on my list if he made it at all. Right? If I were Jesus and ringing in my ear was Peter's denial, was Peter's denial? After I was raised from the dead, Peter would be last on my list if he made it at all. And yet the gospel writers point out, and the apostle Paul points out, they had Jesus appeared to the disciples. And by the way, he appeared to Peter first. He appeared to Peter first. What's really cool in John chapter 21 is that in verse 9, again, we won't We'll be looking at these verses after Easter. But in John chapter 21, verse 9, it says this. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus makes a fire. Peter smells the smoke. And remember when he smelled that smoke before, he denied Jesus. And now he smells the smoke of the fire again. And Jesus... It's going to say, Peter, I want you back. Serve me. Love me. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they finished eating, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my lambs. That's the first time. It's not accidental that Jesus does this three times. Peter denies Jesus three times. Three times. Jesus welcomes Peter back. Three times Jesus says, I want you to serve me. Number two, verse 15. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Time number three. John's counting here. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because, he asked, because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times, Peter denies Jesus. We're all deniers. I'm Peter, you're Peter. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who's faithful to the Father. He goes to the cross. He lays his life down. Who are you empowered to be? Jesus revisits Peter. For every time that Jesus, that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus says, do you love me now, Peter? And three times, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Serve me. Welcome back. I love you. You get a chance to give your life for me again. Live out the life that I empowered you to live. And friends, here's the deal. We're all deniers. But Jesus is faithful. And however we deny or however we fall, however, whatever shortcomings we have, the invitation of Jesus is, ah, I'm the one who's faithful. Now you have the opportunity to faithfully serve me. You have the opportunity to lay down your life. You have the opportunity to release who you are and all your pride and all your arrogance and all your stuff. You have the opportunity to release that to me. Now feed my sheep. Do my will. Follow me in obedience. Walk with me. Pour out your lives for others. Be kind. Be gracious. Serve others as I serve them. When you honestly see who you are, and you humbly grasp on who Jesus is, you're empowered to become who Jesus calls you to be. Let me say that again. When you honestly see who you are, and you humbly grasp onto who Jesus is, you're finally empowered to become who Jesus calls you to be. Let's stand and pray that that would be the case with us. Father, we confess that we don't stand here as people who have it together. We're deniers. We're Peter. It may be overt. It may be fearful. Or it may be just we find bread other places. Thank you that you are faithful to us. That you are good to us. That you pursued 100% obedience with the Father in heaven because we fall 100% short. Thank you that your love is still toward us. Your grace still moves out toward us. Thank you that you empower us by your Holy Spirit to be who you created us to be, to feed your sheep, to love others, to sacrifice ourselves, 
to follow after you, to walk in obedience, to be your sons and daughters. May that be so by the power of your Holy Spirit and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining with us today. Uh, God bless. Have a wonderful day. Our prayer team is down to the right. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, God bless and have a wonderful day.